Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today, and this is the Indiana Bible College podcast. On-campus students at Indiana Bible College have the opportunity to study in three major areas, biblical studies, missiology, and worship studies. If you or someone you know is interested in any one of these three areas, we encourage you to check out www.indianabiblecollege.org. On the website, you can find answers to all of your most frequently asked questions. But if the answer is not there, fill out the form in the Contact Us section, and we will be happy to get the answer for you. Enjoy today's Indiana Bible College podcast. So, uh, hello, I'm uh, Jim Sleva, and I want to introduce you to my friend Mark Brown here. He is a pastor in Watertown, uh, an IBC student that graduated, one of our alumni. And uh, we have a chance to talk to you a little bit today about the things that Jesus Christ can do with the lives, with our lives, for that matter. And so uh, I would uh, start by talking to you, Mark. Give us a little description of prior to Bible school. Describe Mark Brown. Uh, in a nutshell, um, you know, I was, my, my parents were first generation, my mom and dad, uh, they weren't in the church. My mom went to prison for attempted manslaughter. My uh, parents were on drugs, crack, whole nine yards, um, verge of divorce, and um, my mom stepped into a Pentecostal service from an invitation, and uh, that very service, God radically transformed her life. They went home got rid of all the drugs, and uh, that changed the course of our family history. Um, and so when I was young, I, I was raised around it, loved it, and then about sixth grade came around, and peer pressure, and the activities in middle school were a lot different than elementary school, mm-hmm. and I caved in, and pretty much from sixth grade year to my senior year in high school, wasn't serving God. I had a few moments where, you know, like, like deep down I wanted to serve God, sure. but just peer pressure was that strong and my addiction was that strong. But 18 years old, prayed through. Um, my pastor preached a sermon, man, one of those hellfire ones, got me to the altar, let it all out. And uh, from that day forward, I always fell forward. And at 18, that's when um, God called me to go to uh, Bible college. I had no ambition, aspirations as to why. I just simply um, obeyed what I felt God telling me to do and what my pastor blessed me to do. But that's kind of it in a nutshell. I was raised in the Chicagoland area uh, most of my life and uh, then Indiana Bible College at, after 18. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you weren't too sure what God wanted to do with you when you went to Bible college. Uh-huh. Does that mean you didn't really sense a call to preach or anything like that at that point? I, I had a strong desire to do whatever for God, but I never... I never heard him say, you know, you're going to be a pastor, you're going to go evangelize, anything like that. Um, but I always, I love people and I love God. And uh, I definitely had to overcome some fears. But when I went to Bible college, you know, I met you. You took me in under your wing and exposed me to, to just the streets of Indianapolis and reaching out to people. And it was through that relationship with you that I started doing a bread run started doing uh, children's ministry at the Jesus House, learned how to play the guitar to connect with kids, uh, started doing tent revivals, started serving at the soup kitchen uh, with homeless people, uh, fell in love with missions. So I was getting pulled six different directions, and I'm like, 
what in the world, God, I don't know what you want me to do. Um, but when God called my wife and I to South Dakota, we were 22, and the week of graduation, we drove out there. When we got on site, that's when it all came together. Like, ah, okay, that's why God was tugging me all these directions, because in the church plant uh, in South Dakota, we, we were the missionaries. We were uh, the Sunday school teachers. We were the music. We were uh, the outreach coordinators. We were the everything. Um, but I guess I would say I learned how to preach from a pulpit in the process of, of being a pastor. So let me ask that as I was getting ready to ask you. So how much actually behind the pulpit in a church experience that you had when you actually went to start pastoring? None other than I like made an announcement or two from a pulpit when asked. Um, like four years at Bible college, I never got asked to preach chapel service. Um, I went on a missions trip before, and I've shared like my testimony of my, my family and I, but I was not what people would consider a preacher. Um, I was just like the outreach guy, the tent revival guy, the bread run guy, the Jesus house guy. Can you explain what bread run is. Is that when you run around with a piece of bread in your hand or what? Kind of, you know, it was uh, before there was Jimmy John's, there was, uh, you know, bread run. We would go door to door, you know, delivering that bread. But it was past eight bread that stores would throw out. Calvary Tabernacle had a connection with someone there and they would give all that bread and be there at the church. And uh, if I remember correctly, it's been a few years now, um, your mom, her garage or someone's, some elder lady's garage was they stored all this bread and we pick it up. And then uh, every Saturday we go into a needy area and we go door to door and we would uh, offer people, here's some free bread, donuts, pastries, would you like some? And they said yes or no. And from that, doing that weekly in the same neighborhood, we build connections with those people, which turned into us connecting them to the Jesus house if they had kids and also turned into a connection. When we had tent revival, we had a whole pool of contacts that they really wouldn't come when we'd invite them to a traditional service at Calvary. Um, but when we would have like tent revivals or that non-traditional venue of the Jesus house uh, in the neighborhoods at that storefront, we'd pack the place out through those relationships. And then we also had Bible studies. And so the bread was just a vehicle for connection, relationship, meeting people. So the main point wasn't you're trying to feed the hungry. The main point wasn't uh, like some social program. The main point is just you want an excuse to meet people. Exactly. Cool. And the bread was just kind of uh, the security blanket for me because I'm not good at meeting new people. And did you have any specific uh, training prior to Bible school as far as in these venues or? Not like, you know, formal training, like, you know, anything like that. There was stuff at our church. I just... I never considered myself to be part of it, really. Um, and that's just my own fault. But when I came here, you know, I just, uh, my focus, the change of environment, and then meeting you, I was just curious to, to see what you did and do what you did. And I just kind of tried to emulate that and just ran with it. Would you say that the competition is pretty stiff to get involved in tent revivals? Like, was there a whole lot of... Um other people all fighting for that position or that <laughs> runs or wouldn't that, that? wouldn't that be a good thing? Um, no, uh, it's a wide open market outreach. You know, there's, there's millions of people in the Indianapolis area and, and then across this nation, um, you know, there's maybe competition in, 
people trying to jockey to get a pulpit or a position. But when it comes to outreach, you can do it anytime, any day, anywhere with anyone. Um, and that's really all, all that I am today came from uh, just boots on ground, in the trenches, uh, having a pulse of reality, being with people on a regular basis. Uh, it wasn't theory, it was experience. And that was the blessing of Indiana Bible College. You, you're actually experiencing ministry, not just theorizing ministry or intellectualizing it. You have the opportunity to live it out here. And so that's, I'm very indebted to IBC for that. Now, you definitely had a love for people. Uh, maybe not, uh, you were alluding to different uh, aspects of training for ministry, but you definitely had a heart for people. I remember that um, you're trying to pay your school bill, uh, struggling with that and still wanting to connect with kids. And so I think you got a job at the Boys and Girls Club and you may even downsize your vehicle to some little motors, little motor scooter singing or whatever. I forget exactly trying to make all these ends meet. So was, did you find that it was difficult? You still had to maintain a job while you're at school and had financial pressures at the same time? I mean, it definitely wasn't a walk in the park. Um, so, you know, the Bible says in Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the slothful killeth him for his hands refuse to labor. You know, or in layman's terms, desire without diligence will kill you. You know, I, I, you could desire to be a millionaire, you could desire to be a minister all you want, but that doesn't make you a minister, that doesn't make you a millionaire. Uh, you just got to work. And so, I mean, I definitely went, I, had, I worked um, and scraped to get by, but God always provided. Sure. And um, so even when I got, like, the latter part of my uh, season at IBC, I was married, uh, and I was working 40-plus hours. Um, I was taking 22 credit hours at a semester. Um, I was working overnights, but I pushed through it. You know. And what gave you all that drive and push? Because that takes a lot of energy to make all that happen. Well, I have people, I have souls, you know, the, just the mission of the, the weight of eternity, when you feel that weight on your hands, that eternal weight and responsibility, just compelled to do it. And positive peer pressure. You know, I was around you. I was around other students that were like-minded. And, you know, we weren't going out watching movies. We weren't going out partying. Uh, really just had people that were just vivacious for <laughs> missions. And uh, that's kind of who I hung out with. And that's what we did kind of for fun. In fact, it's, as crazy as it sounds, door-to-door on the street, boots on ground, ministry, Bible studies is some of the most fun stories and experiences I have because you never, you never know what to expect. And some of the funniest things, craziest things, emotional things happen when you're out in the, the harvest. And give me a couple, you mentioned going door to door. Give me a couple, two, three of your favorite experiences on the front porch of someone's house. Um, one was I was going to a guy's house to invite him from church. He was someone from the bread run. And uh, he didn't answer the door, but I knew he was home. I could hear sound, and his vehicle was there. And then I heard some shuffling. He finally came to the door, and he was limping pretty bad. Um, and I'm like, what's going on? And uh, he says he can't walk. He has an infection in his leg. And uh, so I helped him back to his seat. 
and we're sitting there talking to him and they're talking about they're gonna amputate his leg. He had, uh, I don't know if I'm saying it right, cellulitis, some sort of, it was gross. His, his, his knee was nasty. And so they're, they're looking at this bad infection and they're gonna have to like chop the thing off. Um, and so I just started talking about the Bible, what it says about the blood of Jesus, the greatest miracle is, you know, with the blood forgiving us, washing our sins away. So anything else the blood can do is less of a miracle or less of an effort with God. And the Bible says, with his stripes we are healed. So I just said, I believe he could do it for your knee. And I uh, laid hands on it, started praying over it. And I go, hey, you wanna, I could help you walk right now if you wanna put your arm on me and we're just gonna pace and pray. And we did, and uh, he was hurting. And uh, we set him back down and he started trying to move his knee. He says, I think it feels better, but I, I can't go to church. I'm like, all right, you know, well, we tried. Um, and then about five minutes later, as I'm going down the block calling out for people, he screams my name. And my friend and I, we run back to the house and he goes, it's healed. And like his leg is soaked. <laughs> like it started pouring out all that pus and stuff in there. And he's moving, he's walking. And he went to church that day, Jesus healed him. So wow. it was cool to see a notable miracle. Sure. Um, and then uh, another moving moment that I'll never forget is going house to house. And we went to go to the slave's house to give her bread. And she opens the door and she's in tears. Her face is all blotchy. She's got cuts and bruises on her. And uh, we're like, what in the world? And her, her boyfriend just got done beating her and he left. Um, and that's really one of those moments where a mantra you live by and teach came to life. And that's exposure breeds a burden. It was, when God called us to go to Watertown, South Dakota, it was actually hard for me to go because I fell in love with Indianapolis because I got involved with it. I, I, I never cared about Indianapolis, never thought about Indianapolis, never thought about a soul on the streets there. But when I was exposed to them and got involved in their lives and bringing kids to church, that was emotionally difficult to detach from, to go to a new field. And so I, I owe it to that door-to-door -door bread run evangelism. Describe the Mark Brown of your freshman year and the Mark Brown of your senior year. Yeah. You know, I, I, I came with a bad spirit, to be honest with you. Um, God wanted me to be here. I really didn't want to be here. Um, and I pretty much just looked at everybody and uh, judged that they're probably all going to hell. I didn't like any of them. I kind of stayed to myself. I mean, I just, I had a sour spirit and I was kind of a little rebel still. Um, but uh, That's why I liked you. <laughs> so, yeah, you adopted me. You kidnapped me. And, uh, and anyways, uh, just it, every year was a little different. God worked on a different element. Actually, every semester was different. Um, and piece by piece, I was transformed. And I, I remember, this will sound awful, but I remember sitting and watching Calvary Tabernacle thinking like, this is a lame church. And uh, God, give me patience for a second before you cut off the recording. Um, was, you know, because I thought, because people aren't running around swinging from the chandeliers, because I came from a loud church. I came from a very intense like gospel inner city type style. And so I was just like, man, and then I see guys wearing pink ties and stuff like that. So I just like, what in the world is going on? And, um, but some, after being around 
the people that make Calvary work behind the scenes, I seen an element of worship and servitude I've never been a part of. And there's a lot of mechanics that goes behind the scenes of Calvary Tabernacle and this Bible college that are, it's what makes it dynamic. And um, by the end of it, I learned the value of the body of Christ. The first tent revival I did, me and another friend almost put the tent up by ourselves, ran the thing by ourselves. By the last tent revival we did our senior year, I did almost nothing because I learned how to use the body and appreciate the body of Christ. Like, okay, you know, that sound man, that's actually a ministry. Oh, that, that guy with raging biceps, that's actually, you know, he could actually drive the stakes into the ground instead of my little pencil arms doing it. You know, I just, I learned to see that everybody has something to contribute. Sure. And, um, and so I learned to appreciate that. Like, I didn't, I didn't confine ministry to just street evangelism. Because I thought if you're not doing street evangelism, then you don't love God and you're not doing nothing. I'm not saying you don't do street evangelism, but I, I basically isolated to one dimensional. And uh, by the end of my Bible college uh, season, I saw the three-dimensional aspect of, of how church works and uh, appreciated that. Can you share with us maybe one of your worst disappointments or discouraging moments in Bible school? It wasn't all wonderful roses and happy victories and great miracles. Um, I could only pick one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I, you know, one, one frustration, there's a couple, but one of them was seeing same people used over and over again or similar type of people put up as the banner of, of the student body and knowing that they're doing things contrary to Christianity outside of the platform or the pulpit, that was pretty frustrating. And seeing their level of talent, and so beginning to think, well, you know, I guess you got to be talented to be used. So I, I've, I've had my little, you know, moments, pity parties over that. And um, I, I shared with the student body today, one time I was having a pity party in prayer and um, whining and crying to God. And all of a sudden the room got pitch black dark and I'm like the light, I mean, it was just dark. And I saw this little rocket, like bottle rocket shoot up and then explode and it turned into this big, beautiful firework, vibrant, intense, and you're like just looking at it amazed, lit up the whole place. But then it all fizzled out and everything was dark again. And God said, that's not what I called you to be. And um, Unfortunately, a lot of the people that were paraded around in their ability fizzled out very shortly. They went out, got job placement, if you want to call it that. Uh, they were evangelizing. They were known, seen, heard, and um, but they fizzled out. And so that was that was an important lesson to learn that you know it's what you do in private, how you live in private and not to have the wrong spirit when other people are being used because all that really matters is your relationship with God, being faithful with God, committed to God, and just uh, if you take care of that, God can take care of the rest. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that, that sometimes we associate the credit to some other people and really it's the work of God's spirit that does it and it's not someone's talent or ability. And I, I just would encourage anybody that's um, saying, what do I have to offer God's kingdom? 
whatever he made you to be, that's what you have to offer. That's, that's huge and powerful. It's just a matter of just saying, I'll cooperate. And I'll get bent out of shape when I see stuff that I don't think is fair or whatever else. Sometimes I think it's maybe harder getting us to get the kinks out of our life. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say this, you know, about the ability thing. It's not bad that people have ability. Right. And people that have low-level ability should not be mad or jealous of people with high-level ability. Jesus gave the parable in Matthew 25 about the guy with one talent, two talent, and five talent. And he says he gave it to them according to their ability. And so God recognized there's people that have twice as much talent and five times as much talent. But the moral of the story is at the end of the day, he expected everybody to do something with whatever level of talent and to grow in development. And the unfortunate thing in the story is the guy with the least amount of ability withdrew and held it for fear. And uh, the other guys, they went out and did it. And a lot of people that have ability, they don't, they've worked for it and they've put in the time. So that's not a problem to have ability. In fact, Jesus rewarded the guy that had five talents that turned it into 10. And he took the guy that had one, the least amount, and gave that one to the guy that had the most. So I do believe God rewards people that put the work and the time in it. Um, but God doesn't need our ability. He needs availability. Yeah. And so if we make our ability available to God and we're still humble with it, God will still bless it. Uh, and uh, if we are a low-level talent person, like by nature, I'm, I'm low-level talent. Um, you know, I fear of public speaking, fear of meeting people, never sing, never play guitar, never preach, all that kind of stuff. But now, this is not, hopefully you can interpret this the right way. Now I'm not a one-talent person. I've grown that talent. So no matter where you're at in the, the, the scale of talent, don't be at the same a year down the road, five years down the road. Develop wherever you are on the road, on the journey. And so, um, you know, I've learned to play guitar. I, I, I learned the Word of God. I learned to meet people. I learned to speak. Um, and so there's something to be said about, you know, always improving yourself for God, growing in God. Now, talk a little bit about the shift then going from Bible school to starting pastoring. You actually, the day you drove away from IBC, were on your way to a pastorate, which is not usually the norm for most people. How did you, number one, know that you were called? And what was the, how did God talk to you, particularly in your case, to say South Dakota is a place to go to that you just knew that's why I needed to go when I graduate? I had my junior year, by my end of my junior year, starting senior year, I had no idea where I was going. And that's where I felt that tug of war, you know, like, am I, because I'm, I'm involved with six different things. Does God want me to do music at a small church? You know, because now by this time I'm playing guitar and singing. I'm not good, but I could lead worship at, you know, an okay ability. Um, and then I, I felt, you know, compelled in my, should I do outreach? Should I be a Bible study teacher? You know, Sunday school, children, what am I doing? So I have all this tug of war, and then my, the summer before my senior year, I'm at a wedding, and after the wedding, the, the, um, one of the family members who's a farmer in South Dakota starts talking with me about South Dakota, and he's telling me crazy stories. Like, he's, he's got me, like, in stitches. I'm laughing. Just, just crazy stories. And I'm like, who in their right mind? would ever live in a godforsaken land, you know, this frozen tundra. And um, at the end, as I'm going to my car to go back home, he just looks at me and says, yeah, 
there's a big need in South Dakota. And that's all he said. And all of a sudden, as I look at him, it's like a dagger hit me. And I had like, I mean, instant, like instant tears just coming down. And I'm in front of this like man of a man farmer. And here's this pansy little, you know, city boy crying, you know. Like, and I'm not even saying that. I'm just like shaking. I look at him. I shook his hand. I walk off. And that was it. And I'm in my car. And as clear as I heard God, you're going to South Dakota. I'm asking you to go to South Dakota. And I'm talking back like, no way. You know, no, I, I want to go overseas. You know, I, I think you want me to help out missions maybe. Or, you know, why would I go to South Dakota? And, um, and at the end of the drive, when I got back home, it was about a 20-minute drive, 30 minutes, I can't remember. But at the end of the drive, I put in park, and I just said, if you want me to go, I'll go. And it was like, went from a dagger to like this, like tangible hug, like a, just a peace and embrace. And I'm like, whoa, that was weird. And so I shared it with my wife. And I shared it with you and my pastor at the time. And, um, and we just kept it to ourselves. I didn't tell anybody. And the advice was pray about it and see if it intensifies, stays the same, or goes away. And that's what I did for the first semester of my senior year. And it just intensified. And all of a sudden, it seemed like South Dakota popped up in every conversation. Like people like, like I'd be sitting at a, a, a lunch table and then someone's talking about South Dakota. I went on that book trip and all of a sudden, Brother Mooney, Brother Marler, and Brother Tim Asking are talking about South Dakota. And it's just like, it's just like little things that pop up. I'm like, what in the world? Long story short, I'm trying to condense it, is um, by that time, I'm in second semester, and I was advised to call the superintendent of South Dakota, so I do. And um, I just tell him, hey, I, this might be weird, but um, I think God wants me to go to South Dakota. I share my experience. And I said, my wife and I, will." We'll do whatever you want. We'll move wherever you want. I'm not asking anything. I, I just, we'll help. Any way you want us to help, we'll help. Well, he calls back sometime later, not too long after that, and he says, I think it'd be good for you to, to launch a church work. It's Watertown, where I'm at right now, I've been there pastoring for 12 years. We started when we were 22, and it's, since the 70s, there's been an open, close, open, close, launch, relaunch type deal, and there was a house there that they were using. And so it was, you know, closing work, Pastor, after 17 years trying to dig something out there, you know, he's transitioning. And um, so we, he said, you guys should go do that. And I'm like, what? You know? Um, but we did it. <laughs> we had the blessing of God, pastor, and the superintendent. And the week of graduation, it was two or three days after graduating, we took our cap and gown off, got in our car, drove out there. We had no job, nothing. And uh, we looked for work for three months. Slept on the basement floor, and uh, pretty stellar. Uh, describe your car condition as you were driving away from IBC. Oh, I, I have seem to have a memory of one of these nights. The, are you talking about the '89 Fox Volkswagen thing with no power steering, no e-brake, and no AC? Thing beautiful. I don't know. It might have been a one-cylinder. I don't know. <laughs> thing barely. It just starts shaking after you go 55 miles an hour, and. And uh, everything we owned pretty much went in uh, that car. And this, uh, we also had this Cavalier and um, drove out there. And um, it was a long drive. You've been married how long at this point? A year and a couple months. OK, <clears throat> so you're basically just getting cranked off with the marriage and just graduating from school. And how much you have a lot, a big chunk of money in your bank account? I had no money. Uh, Pledge supports, deputation, 
but you did have a pastor who says, I have a, a building you can land at, uh, and you can sleep in the basement of it. Uh, and you had a lot of prayer. Um, so describe like your first few services. How was that in Watertown? <laughs> Embarrassing. Uh, it was jank. It was, the building was bad condition. Um, and we had this, this uh, ghetto rig sound system. And it is, is pathetic. I, I didn't, truth be told, I didn't even need a sound system. It's just my wife How and I. How many people are your members? Yeah, how many yeah we, got, we got one guy we're preaching at at this time. And uh, as I'm preaching, I'm preaching through a sound system. I don't, even, I don't need it. The room's just a tiny room. And the guy's right there. And my wife's right there. But I felt like I, for some reason, had to have a sound system. And it sounded like I was preaching it because it was like... <laughs> It was, it, was, it was pretty lame, you know, and uh, and telling my wife to repent every service, that's kind of hard, kind of impacted the marriage a little bit. Um, but those 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 were precious memories, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I literally, though we had no one there, um, I preached like everyone was there. Uh, I was just so full of zeal, passion. I was just excited to do something. Um, so... It's funny now that we have uh, a church building and property, which is a miracle. I drive by our old property and I look at it, and sometimes I'll just sit in that parking lot and stare, and be like, "Good God, <laughs> how, how did we? How did we? How did we even do that?" You know. But when you're so in love with God and you're so, it's just your reasonable service. You're an unprofitable servant. It's just like, man, this is exciting. It's just like an adventure. Is there some way that you think that you could have just uh, had we organized it right and you could skip those? How many years were you at the old building? Nine. Is there some way you could have just like skipped all the lessons of that old building and just if moved into the new building and had the miracles all happen? Could that have happened somehow or did you need those nine years? Well, God could have done it. And that sure would have, uh, I would have less scars, but uh, less scars, less character, huh? Um, Who I am has come through the process. Uh, My personality, the way I communicate, the way I pray, the way I worship, the way I, I perceive things has come through the process. The, the first five years was, um, the most, the most depressing of my life. And I mean, I, 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 it's, here's what's stupid. I, I, t- I tell this story so many times and I, like, it hurts every time. Yeah. Like, it's that real to me. I was absolutely just depressed. Absolutely, I just lost. You know, here I am trying to stand up and encourage people and like, I am miserable, miserable. Um, I think there's maybe some things I could, I definitely could have done differently that maybe would have expedited the process, but I am who I am because of the process. And I've learned from that. And I, I can address and approach things differently now than I would originally, but who I was, just like you asked that question about the same Mark Brown freshman year and versus the Mark Brown senior year, they're two different people. And Mark Brown, feels weird to say your name in third person. Um, me, in my first year, 
to the fifth year to now the 12th year, worlds apart. Yeah. I mean, I literally, I, I, I never went to the clinic, but I, I, I know I had a mental breakdown. I know I, I, I could have been admitted in the psych ward. I mean, I was, I remember my, my fifth year, it was the first time we ever had a breakthrough, year five. And um, we had 100 first-time guests in five months. And it was crazy. I mean, we just, there's like rich people coming, you know, attorneys, business owners, yada, yada. Just so we get the right perspective, year one, two, three, what was that like as far as attendance? Oh, it was garbage. <laughs> Not the people weren't garbage, <laughs> but it was just like, uh, we couldn't get nobody. And the ones we did, I mean, it was just like, just asking us for money. And we didn't even have money. And so I'd, I'd give them money. <laughs> and, and, uh, so people are taking an offering from you. Yeah. Okay. Um, that was the first three years was first five years. Man, um, it was tough. And I, 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 I couldn't feed my wife. I remember the hardest Bible study I ever taught was sitting there with my wife after a church service. And we didn't have, um, we didn't have anything to eat. And uh, now, you know, I whine and complain. Really, it's first world problems. I just got back from Ghana. So, like, you know, I feel stupid to complain, but it was real to me, you know. Um, I could have went in the dumpster and ate better than people did where I was at. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't, um, I, I, we didn't have anything to eat. And so we had some money in the offering, and we were going to buy something to eat. But we felt so guilty about that that we had to sit down and go through the Bible and teach ourselves a Bible study, that it's okay to, to feed the ox. It's okay to partake of what you worked for. And um, so that was tough. And then another time sitting in front of social services uh, to get um, food stamps. That was, you know, so, you know, we had some moments. Yeah. Um, but year five, we got all these people coming now, and so I'm pretty pumped up, like, wow, there's people. Um, but then they got revelation after they got filled with the Holy Ghost that this is different than anything they've been a part of. And so long story short, they, they start, you know, wanting to leave group by group. And we had the first group left over, Jesus' name, baptism. I went to a house, and all of a sudden the house is filled with questions and people. Like, they didn't tell me there's going to be a bunch of people there. And all that. I'm like, uh-oh. And my stomach's churning because I know what's going on. And it was the first time I ever felt tempted to compromise truth. Um, not because I didn't believe it, but I sincerely, I love these people. I poured into them. And I don't want to see them go. But I know the answer I'm going to give them is going, they're going to go. And I said, you know what, this, this is what Jesus said. And then they left. The second group was over tongues, um, receiving the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. The largest group was over the oneness of God, they left. And then the last group that left was over holiness separation, and that was the meanest group. Um, they, they attacked me in front of my wife and started screaming, saying, this church will never grow because of what you teach and preach. And uh, I'm trying to be strong for my wife, and now I'm crying in front of her. And now I'm, like, I'm starting to shake. I'm so, like, I'm overcome with emotion. And they slam the door and walk out, and I fall flat on my face. And I could barely talk, and all I can mumble to God was, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. And uh, the Lord, he talked to me, and he, he said, now I can trust you with revival.
and um, that helped. Yeah. Now things didn't turn right then and there, but from that day forward, it was different. And to know that I, God can trust me, yeah. but I had to pass that test. And uh, I, it's important, you know, to, to know what you believe and stand for what you believe. And it's got to cost you something. Yeah. And uh, it costs people and it costs money, but I was more interested in truth. And um, what was your tenants after the last group left? We were back down to maybe two. No, um, if I'm thinking like an actual number, it'd be maybe, maybe 10, okay. maybe eight. But it was, it was like a right back down. As I recall, you had, before, the larger group had lawyers and all kinds of good people. Yeah. Um, uh, what man would say it. is, oh, that's what we need. Yeah. Uh, and so it's kind of like after five years back to... Square one. Square one. Yeah. So now you mentioned that it was a different flavor after that then. So describe that little different flavor. What, what shifted there? What felt different? Numbers weren't different. Still in the same building. Um... Well, from that day forward, I, I, I got a, um, I made up my mind, I am not going to be held hostage by people's money. Because um, they were waving, they were like, let's go buy a building. And they took me to this building and stuff. And I prayed about it and God said, no, you know. And the building would have been cool to have. It was bigger than what we had. Um, but God said, no. And, um, Anyways, so after they all left, like, I'm like, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to ever be going through that again. So I'm like, God, I want, I want a debt-free building. I want, I, want, I want a building where I preach wherever, whatever I want without fear of, oh, are we going to make the bills? And um, so I just started, pro I was, I, again, I had my mental breakdown, so I'm probably like, it probably ain't even the Holy Ghost. It's probably just I'm nuts. So, so I, I just started declaring things bold and big, you know. I was like, God's going to give us a church van. It's gonna, we're gonna, someone's going to give us one, and we're going to reach, you know, some kids in this community. And all of a sudden, boom, like someone called us up and gave us a church van. And uh, so I was like, whoa. And so, like, I'm like, in Jesus' name, God's going to give us a building. It's going to be debt-free. And, uh, and they're all looking at me like I'm stupid because there's only 10 in the room, and I'm talking about, like, building expansion and all this stuff. And, uh, but I just started prophesying to the wind and calling those things which be not as though they were. And for an altar service, this is about year seven. Um, I just, I, I went by this building that was $1.3 million is for sale on the market for three quarter million dollars. And, um, and we had no, I had no business even thinking about it, but I'm just like, that's what I, I'll, I'll take that. And so I call the realtor, go through the building. stuff. we ain't got no money. We ain't got no people. But I, I go back to the church, and I preach on Sunday, and I just start declaring, that's going to be ours. And I was like, I'm going out there to pray for it. Who wants to go with me? That's our altar call. And we open the door. We're in a full-fledged blizzard. <laughs> and uh, it's January 26th or something like that. It was cold. It was a blizzard. And uh, we went out to that building. And that, you know, people, again, they thought I was nuts. And I probably was. Um, but anointed that keyhole, put my hand on it, started declaring, God, this is ours, debt-free in Jesus' name. I go, I want wells I did not dig, vineyards I didn't plant, houses I didn't build, walls I didn't fortify. And um, really condensing the story is that we ended up getting that building debt-free 
and we walked in the day of a cash in hand and we obtained that property, it was an absolute miracle. And uh, there's a lot of cool stories to that, but I don't know how long you want me to ramble here, what ground we're covering. Oh, just suffice to say, it was a miracle. Absolutely. It's our million-dollar miracle for sure. The timing, everything, your other billions sold within just a few days in order to get the stuff. So every time I went to these people, I made an offer, and they said no. And then I went back to them, I made an, a lesser offer, and they said no. And I went back again, I made a lesser offer. They got mad, and they said, go, go ahead, get away from us. So I left them alone for a little bit. Then I came back again and offered them in less, and they said no. And I, I, I kept declaring. I went back one more time, and I offered them 250000 and they said yes. And uh, I was like, oh, cool. Well, we got we to gotta sell our property first. And they're like, nope, we need to do this now. And I'm like, let me get right back to you. So we had a prayer meeting that day. At the end of the prayer meeting that very day that we accept, they accepted an offer, someone called us and made an offer on our property. And they said, here's the deal, though. We need to be in your building in three weeks. I'm like, well, that's kind of fast. Um, and no bank would give us a loan. And, uh, and so I go, okay. And uh, because I, I called that church, they were running out to someone else in contract, and I asked them, how much long are you guys there for? They said three weeks. I'm like, well, that's a God thing. Uh, but we still needed, uh, so our building property sold for like 110. So we still needed like 140 grand, 130 grand. And um, our church like, where are we going to get that from? I was like, I don't know. God's going to do it. And so we started praying for three weeks, and $130,000 came in. And we walked on the day of into that signing room with two hundred fifty grand. Wow. Got the keys, turned it. It was ours debt-free. It was nuts. You know? Basically. Yeah, it was God. Basically. That's an awesome story. Um, so described then at that point, now you've been, you went through some really smashing low points. God had a try to test you now you're in the you're in the you went from fasting and praying to feasting believing kind of mode um describe some of the cool victories that happened and then maybe some more things that god was teaching in the meantime like cool victories now yeah. um and there's a lot of cool things i tell you what i like for the first time i've been there 12 years and um i absolutely love church when I was in that basement I was, <laughs> had no windows in our room it was dark it was probably part of the depression like I, re- I, w- I would distinctly recall waking up it was Sunday and I would just look at the ceiling because right above the ceiling is where <laughs> I'd be preaching and I'm like oh god oh god <laughs> I don't want to go up there and my prevailing thought through the whole day is I can't wait till this is over And the moment service is over, crawl back into bed and go to sleep. Now, I get up early, I'm like, God's going to do something today. I'm so excited. And I'll get the church excited. We're on a text thread with, you know, like a core group. And I just tell them, God's going to, God's, things are about to happen. And going to church, the dynamic of our church, it's, I mean, it's exciting. It's vibrant. We got prayerful people. I mean, I mean, it's the group that we have. Anyone would want them. They're just awesome. And I, I love church, man. And we, we, we've seen some pretty incredible things over the years. But it, that's just like the dynamic, the change. I love church. But it, I don't wish 12 years on anybody. 
But it's been, it's just, that's just our story. And it's just that we stayed. So people are like, man, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, well, I'm just there one day more than we were before. You know, you know Corinthians 16, 8, 9. You know, I will tarry at Ephesus till Pentecost. But, you know, there's this door, this open door opportunity, but there's adversaries there. You got to meet them. You got to confront them. And you, you just got to be more stubborn than the devil and uh, make up your mind staying. And that's what it is. is we made up our mind we're going to stay. And uh, it's just cool. Like my first seven years, not one person got the Holy Ghost while I preached. That's pretty rough. But now, I mean, we, got, we get people getting the Holy Ghost, people getting baptized. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. I, I love church. I love church. I, I, can't wait, I can't wait for this Sunday. And um, anyways. So do you think that you had a unique experience? Because you travel quite a bit right now. Would you say that actually for the people that have successful ministries, do they seem to go through the same kind of thing that you did, maybe different um, Different day, different scenario, but same experiences. I mean, it's 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 not like you know word for word the same, but there's similar uh, elements to everybody's story. You know, you go out there excited, you know, and then uh, you get punched in the face, you get denied, you get you go through that low valley, you get picked back up, then you go back in the low valley and get picked back up. Um, I mean, it's seasons, they come and go. Um, so I would say it's recur. It's, it was encouraging to find out that other people went through what I went through. And so now, I, as much as I possibly can, I try to share the story and encourage people. You know, and be very, I'm very transparent. Like when I preach, I, I, a lot of times I, I, I hang out my laundry. <laughs> I, I, I just, because I've learned that's what's encouraged me, but it's always been like secret conversations. So like I just take those conversations and go public with them. and. I get so much feedback from people, um, like just blown away. They had no idea, you know, that I was on the verge of quit, about to walk away from everything, and and my struggles and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I would say it's very common. The enemy wants you to feel like you're like the exception to the rule, but that's not true. Everybody goes through it. Everybody faces those moments, and um, it's good to that we communicate to each other to be encouraged. And that's something that's different now. I, I stay in communication with people where before I, I stayed to myself. So. Good. Um, now, personally, you were, obviously, when you first went there, you were just struggling to get um, a job with no financial backing. Um, so you were very dependent on your wife or somebody working to have some food on the table. Um, how did that financially shift where you could feel like, of course, obviously there's a, a battle to say, I want to minister, but I also have to work. I, I have to have some income. I have to have some food. You had an advantage of being able to stay in the basement at first. Uh, how did that part work out that you were able to financially make it? And then what has changed since you began? Um, I would not say I have arrived financially. <laughs> I said, there's still times I just kind of look at the, the numbers. I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, there's a fire. And um, so there's, there's definitely tough times still. But there's been some significant things that have happened. One, we've always given missions. And this is just something my wife and I have done. We always, we de we've decided ever since Bible college that we will out-tithe our tithe. So tithe 10%. We always said we're going to give 10% and more in addition 
So it goes to missions, ministries, whatever. So since Bible college, we've been given over 20% of our income. And every year that we could, we've, we've increased that percentage. And um, because I believe in giving. And, sure. and because of that, you know, our church has caught the spirit again. We're a giving church. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. We're, not a, we're not a large church in number yet, but we, we are large in giving. We're a sacrificing church and we're a praying church. Um, but a significant change happened when I was preaching an event called Torch, an ABI uh, a, a church, a, a college, and um, they were auctioning off a church planner to, to go move to a new territory and start a church. And also, I'm getting flooded with memories. I remember that. But the difference is this guy's got a career, he's got a business, and he's got like three or four kids. And I'm watching this, I'm like, oh my goodness. And, and so whoever gives the most money is gonna get a sledgehammer to smash a car's windshield or something. And uh, it was just a vehicle to try to get people to get, and, no, like, and there's like, I don't know, there's like 800, 700 people in the room. And uh, they start off the auction and nobody says anything. I'm like, what in the, so I'm like, hundred dollars, you know, and, and then cricket, cricket. I'm like, what in the, so I go a thousand dollars, you know, and I scream it out. And, and then also my brother piped up and it got competitive after that. But then I screamed $2,000 and uh, I, I Did you have $2,000? Yes. In this sense that one, I don't carry money like that. But I just got my uh, tax return, okay. you know. That's the, the, my little tax credits, my children, you know. So this isn't your, uh, um, like, savings nest or extra money? No, this, extra is, this is the only money. We just got it. Like, we didn't have okay. savings on it. So I got $2,000, you know, that just came into my checking account from the government, uh, tax return, whatever. And um, so I gave it all to, to the, the church planner. And so we're back at zero again, you know. But I go up there to preach, and uh, after I'm done, like literally, random people were coming up to my wife and like sticking their hands in her purse. People come up from behind and just put, I feel like my soup pocket, I'm like, what? And, and people shake my hand all of a sudden, there's like, you know, crunchies, crunchies in my hand. I'm like, all right. And then like the next day, someone comes and like hands us a note. They said, someone told me to give this to you. They're anonymous. And I'm like, what in the world? We get in our car to go back home and we open it up, all the money that was all given to us. And in my lap is $6,000. Wow. And I'm like, I'm shaking. I've never held so much money in my life, you know? Oh. And, and I, I, we're like, you know, crying, embracing, weeping. And then I felt the Lord speak to me. And he said, do you trust me? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I want you to put in your two-week notice. And I'm work, you know, I'm like, what? You know, I'm working multiple jobs. Um, at that point, it's an airport and Starbucks. And, uh, and I was like, okay. I, I didn't have, I wasn't preaching out everywhere. Yeah. I'm not known. Um, I just, I'm like, okay. And, and at that point, I don't know, we had... 17 people, 20 people in the church, and God told me to go away from my job. You know, so I'm like, all right, uh, I guess, and I did it. And it was, it was kind of neat to think is, it went from God saying, I trust you, 
do you trust me? Mm. And I was like, yes, sir. And I did what he told me to do. And then literally, financially, like, like just miracles, random checks would come in the mail. Also, we get asked to do things across the country, and people would, would be a blessing to us. And that was four years ago. Four years ago, I've, I've been uh, able to be focused with the church and uh, be supported. And, uh, and the, God, I, I love our church, but like, you know, what, what they um, grant us does not cover our, our monthly expenses. But God miraculously has always provided. Just because I want to give all credit to God, and he is doing great things, but sometimes people can immediately think like, oh, you must have a church of 2,000 people now. You got a million. So your attendance is what now? Not enough. <laughs> we, 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 have, uh, we average 80, and uh, of that 80, uh, the average of that is 30 are adults and 50 are students. So we're a young church. Um, but uh, the past five years... We've had year-over-year year growth. Going back to five years ago, uh, we were hanging out around 18. Yeah. And every year, just a little more, a little more, a little more. A little. So, uh, and now what we're at where we've never been is we have a, a core and a foundation to have sustainable growth. Where here's the truth, is that revival we had at year five with uh, 100 folks, that would have overtook, taken us. And we would have we would have lost, I think. Um, kind of like the concept God gave Israel, little by little. In other words, the land will overtake you; the wild beasts will eat you up, little by little. And um, we had that that saturation of people, and they they were the culture, they were the influencers, not me. Mm-hmm. But now. You know, I, I've influenced a number of people. I spend time, very meticulous time, with one person at a time, discipling them. Now it's the culture of our church being apostolic, being being you know uh, consecrated, and I'm I'm just I'm not afraid. You know, going up to that pole, I'm not afraid. Like, oh my goodness, everyone's gonna walk away if I talk about this subject. I'm telling you, there's absolute liberty at our church, and it's, it's I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's awesome. I love it. There you go. Took a little bit to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Understatement of the year. Probably every, probably every little lesson was a vital lesson that was needed. Yes, sir. Um, if you were looking at somebody else that was um, considering, um, they feel maybe similar to you. Is there a book they can read that has it all? Did you learn all this from a book that you read that inspired you? This is this book called the Bible. There you go. I, I, I like it a little bit. Oh, I. Um, I mean, if you're look, if 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 you are asking about like you know any book stuff, I and mean, there's things that inspire me, but all that theory is great, is nice, but really, it, putting your hands to the plow is the only way to get the calluses. Yes. Is that hands-on experience, trial and error, and uh, that's what prepared me to be there. Was Yes, I got information here and inspiration here, but when I was here, I I'd had the application. That really prepared me to go over there. I wasn't fully prepared. I mean, there's things unforeseen and all that stuff, yada, yada, but just doing it. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's I'm not going to go through a bunch of books, but there's there's definitely resources and books that challenge me that I enjoy, et cetera. Um, but the Bible, I, this sounds, 
I don't know, whatever, but I really enjoy reading the Bible. Like, I, I, I like reading it. I never, it doesn't dry out for me. Um, and so I'm always getting constant inspiration, um, but it's the application. Is it fair to say then that you really feel like it's been the work of the Holy Spirit that has shaped your life and made you and not you're copying somebody else's ministry? Absolutely. I mean, there, there ain't no, I, I cannot get credit. People can try to give credit, but I mean, I, I'm deflecting, like, look, I'm, I'm the dumbest man in the room at all times, almost every time. Um, it's God. And uh, I mean, I couldn't make that real estate thing happen with their church. I couldn't make, we got, we've given, we've been given three out of four church vans to our church, you know, miraculously. Um, and um, it's a story after story where God, you know, I think you, you, um, you're the one that told me that uh, God, if you want, God will let you pay the bill. But if you want to trust in him, you might see him do some pretty cool stuff. And a lot of people always, you know, paying the bill when God could have done it if they would have just waited and trusted. And um, God's done some really pretty cool things. Um, you know, those that are whole need not a physician. Yeah. So I'm just always say, God, I'm sick in the head. <laughs> God, I'm, I, I'm messed up. I can't do this. I'm not smart. Give me wisdom. Help me. And, and he does. Yeah. And I, I give him the credit for it. I definitely, if I would have planned it, I would have underplanned, like Burr Mooney said. Yes. So, yes, sir. To God be all the glory. Good news for all you listeners out there who would love to continue your education with Indiana Bible College, but simply can't make the trip to Indianapolis to do so. The Indiana Bible College Distance Learning Program is now accepting students who would like to continue their education, complete a degree, or just get an advanced certificate of studies. For more information on this and more about the Distance Learning Program, visit www.ibcdl.com.